Uh, Heavenly Father, we do, uh, we, we do lift up our pastor. Uh, we'd love to have him back immediately uh, to us, Lord, but I just pray that you, uh, you just comfort his, uh, his heart there as he's right now, right there in the hospital bed. Comfort his heart, Lord. Uh, pray that you would uh, be with him as he prepares to have surgery, that uh, you be with his family as they're trying to figure out logistics and figure out what, what the next steps are for their, for their family covers and heals for that. Uh, we just pray that he quickly returns to us, Lord. We're grateful for, for his ministry to us, and we just pray that you pray for today's gathering, that you would, uh, I just pray for this gathering, Lord, that you would allow this kind of difficult passage, again, to speak to our hearts where we're at, challenge us and rebuke us if necessary, Lord. Um, for a for a lot of us, um, we will have kind of different dreams, um, and so what I mean, I'm not talking about like ambitions. I'm talking about dreams like you actually sleep and you you have dreams. Um, they can be weird ones. Uh, maybe you had too much chippy like the night before, and you just kind of have a weird weird dream. Uh, sometimes you'll have kind of like a God dream where where maybe you feel like God is giving you kind of the next steps on a direction that you should take. Um, sometimes. It, like your dreams will kind of really dive into your, your kind of your subconscious, um, and so you'll you'll kind of uh, have these dreams where you're you're walking, maybe you're having a meal and your teeth start falling out. Uh, there's people that, that that's pretty common. They'll have that dream where they're constantly their teeth just, they go out and their their teeth fall out. Um, and then some people they're walking around out in public, maybe they're doing their shopping and they look down and they're not wearing any clothes. Uh, you all kind of have different dreams. Uh, from my dream that I have, it, like at least once a month I'll have this dream. It's always kind of the same one, it's different circumstances, but pretty much the same one. And that is that I am going to preach. And I, it's, I'm, I'm in different buildings and different gatherings and that sort of thing. But every single time I go up to preach, I am just really overwhelmed. And I look down and all of my notes are completely blank. And I have nothing in front of me. And so I just kind of have to wing it. And that's this kind of this, this dream that I constantly have. And so uh, most of the time what happens is I look up and I'm trying to wing it and people are just shaking their heads and like people start kind of walking out. And, and so, um, so that's fine. Hopefully that doesn't happen too much today. Um, sometimes I'll have the dream and like people are feeling the Holy Spirit and they're just crying. And then um, most of the time, people, you know, I'm just I'm stuttering over my words. I'm just like trying to make this 40 minutes go by as quickly as possible. And hopefully somebody gets a nugget of wisdom out of the so that's kind of a, this weird dream that I constantly have. And like on, on a deep level, the reason I kind of have these dreams is because I am a planner. It's who I am. It's, God, it's how God made me. I am a planner. When we go on vacation, I am planning our trip. I am planning where we're going to go. I'm going to plan all these cool places to visit, what food we're going to eat, all this fun stuff. I am a planner. It's just who I do. I have a constant to-do list before me. I have a constant calendar in my head. It's constantly going, constantly going. And the way God usually works is that God usually gets this person who's exactly like that and a person who has the exact opposite of that. It kind of throws them together in a marriage. It's weird how that works. And so my wife, uh, God love her, she puts up with me on this. It's not that she doesn't like planning. She does, but just not like me, all right? This is a different level of planning. And so, um, you know, she, she, like I said, she doesn't hate it, but she just doesn't enjoy it as much as as I do. I'm always thinking about these things. 
And today, as we're looking into the passage that we're, we're kind of diving into today, um, we're not going to talk about a right way to plan or a wrong way to plan as much, uh, but there are things that God desires for us in our planning. Um, there, there's not a wrong way to plan in, in, in the essence of planning too little. There's not a right way to plan in the essence of planning too much, but there is a right way and a wrong way to plan the way God has it in store for us. So we're going to kind of dive into that today. Um, the, the last two weeks, we have taken a break uh, from the, the book of James. We've, we've had our, our, our kind of guest speakers come in. Now we're back into it. Um, and you might remember a couple weeks ago, I preached on the first part of chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 12, and now we're kind of finishing up the rest of chapter 4 here today. And if you were here for that, you, you might recall that one of the things that James was talking about in that first section was about fighting and quarreling, this conflict that was happening within the church. And so ultimately what James is arguing is that sometimes our, our desires, our personal preferences, our, our passions are ultimately supplanting what God wants to do, God's desires, God's plans for us. Um, and that is mainly because we have kind of conditioned ourselves to believe in our own self-reliance and our own self-sufficiency, what kind of James is calling, calling out. And and as we're going into this new section of Scripture in verses 13 through 17, it kind of it appears on the surface that maybe we're, we're dealing with a different subject altogether. It doesn't really seem like there's a smooth connection. But if you look at it really closely, there's, there's not really a, a big um, indication that we're going into a new section or a new topic altogether. Um, in fact, I would argue that this, this, these four verses uh, in, in the end of James, that we're, James 4 that we're reading today, and the first 12 verses, they actually have a lot in common. And so let's just kind of, not to re-preach an old message, but let's just kind of uh, go back and kind of refresh ourselves with uh, verses 1 through, uh, I don't know, 3 or 4 in, in chapter 4 here. Three, three, verses 3 or 4 in chapter 4. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then let's kind of jump ahead to verse 6 there. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I would argue that the whole chapter 4 here, in its entirety, is a rebuke on selfishness. That the first part of chapter 4 and the end part of chapter 4 all have the same root cause, and that's selfishness. Because self-centeredness has the power really to make us deaf and blind to God. Self-centeredness has the power to make us deaf and blind to the Lord Jesus. This, this narcissistic uh, kind of preoccupation is the main reason, the primary reason that we have discord with other people in the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, in this section, James is making this argument that this blindness is being able, it's basically keeping us from being able to see our own sinfulness anymore. That not only do we become blind to God in the process, we're actually becoming blind to our own sinfulness. Uh, and part of the reason I would argue that we need kind of this, this scripture for us as a church today is that this selfishness, this this uh, self-reliance, uh, this arrogance, self-centeredness, narcissism, these are actually very rampant problems in the church. 
But the issue is, is that we often, because of the way we're wired, we often think about how this message would be a really good message for someone else, right? We, we, don't, have, we don't take the time to really say, man, I, I really need this for my own self. I really need to deal with my own pride. It's always, we're always looking out the window and looking at someone else. And so I think it's very helpful for us today. It's a hard message. James, uh, I'm kind of glad James is only five chapters because uh, James is pretty brutal in his words. He, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, mind uh, making you feel uncomfortable with the truth. And so let's kind of dive in a little bit closer here. Let's look at verses 13 um, to, to kind of dive in. Um, he starts out by saying, come now. Um, and kind of what he's doing, this is, this is kind of a little bit of a transition that's happening um, it, it would be kind of like a, a coach gathering his players around the pitch and him saying, no, all right, guys, listen up, listen up, let's pay attention here. Um, or like a parent, if you're a parent, you know this, you say it often, are you listening to anything I'm telling you right now? Are you hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth? Um, James really wants to get our full, our, our undivided attention to address something that he is seeing amongst the believers there in the church. He says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. This is kind of what James is getting at here. Apparently there are these, these traders, these merchants, and they are um, they're wanting to make all these plans to travel. They're wanting to you know, make a sweet profit. And, and uh, the fact that they're making plans isn't, isn't the issue. The fact that they're making a profit isn't really the issue that James is concerned about. He's not really concerned about that. What he is concerned about is by doing so, they're becoming more self-reliant. They, they kind of feel like they no longer require God anymore. So James isn't have a, having a venting session. He's not talking about, man, you, you guys, you're planning way too much or you're planning way too little. Here's all the reasons why you should do this or do that. He, he's not really do that. In fact, Scripture you know, often says a lot that you know, there's, there's wisdom in planning. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 15.2 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Uh, 13.16 in Proverbs says, In everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. It's, it's wise for us to make plans. It, it makes sense for us to make plans. When you go to the grocery, um, you, you don't go to the grocery and spend 500 pounds on, on food because what's going to happen? Three days from now, a lot of that food is going to start wasting away. It's not, it's not going to last. You don't have enough room in your fridge. Um, or, or you go and you, you come, if you don't really go prepared to the grocery, you're just going to have a lot of just kind of hodgepodge stuff. It's not going to make any sense. Like, you're just going to have to kind of figure out a meal out of all this stuff. It's wise for us to make, make plans. Um, I have a friend who's coming in tomorrow from Italy. He's flying in. Uh, it's the first time I've been able to see him in a couple of years, so we're looking forward to having him here and kind of show him, show him off in our city. And, um, but imagine if he sent me a message saying, hey, looking forward to seeing you. Here's my itinerary. Um, I say, great, awesome. And he expects me to show up at the airport to pick him up, and I don't, so he kind of has to get a cab and come to our place, and then he gets to our house. Uh, there's no preparations done whatsoever. Like, the bedding hasn't been changed. We have kids, and they've just destroyed the house. Um, you know, there's, there is no groceries. Um, you know, he wouldn't feel very welcome with, with that experience because we haven't planned for his arrival. Um, or, you know, many of you have, have gone to university. You've, you've 
you are in uni or you want to go to uni, like imagine how foolish it would be for you just to say, yeah, I want to go to uni. Advisor, just figure out some classes for me. I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but just, just figure it out. In fact, once I graduate, just tell me what to do and I'll, I'll, I'll find a job in that career. Like, of course not. Like, it's just foolish. Like, the Lord has given us a mind and he wants us to make wise plans with that. So the issue of planning isn't the issue. We should make goals. We should make you know, action steps to achieve those goals. It's good, it's right uh, for us to do that. So he's not anti-plan. He's, let's just get that off, off, off our chest here. It's not, he's not anti-plan here. He's also not anti-capitalism either, I should say. Like he's not, uh, James isn't writing about all the reasons why they shouldn't be making a profit. Um, you know, the Bible does have a lot to say about money and, 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 and the, the problems that wealth can cause and our love for money can cause. There's tons of verses on that. But the issue here that James is kind of diving into is not even with, with profit. What, what is kind of driving James in this passage is he sees a really deep heart issue. And he wants to address that with these believers because there is selfishness uh, that is attached to their hearts. There's this... Um, Again, this narcissism, this lack of awareness of God. You look at this passage again, and you kind of note these, these pronouns here. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town, and we will spend a year there. We will trade. We will make a profit. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's not about anything else or anyone else. The, the problem isn't the planning. It's, it's not the profit. It's the posture. Where, where are they positioning themselves? Because their lives have positioned themselves so much that they've kind of dropped God out of it. He's kind of gone to the side. They've kind of put him aside. In their speech, they're, they're saying that they're fully following Jesus, but their actions don't match up. They, they, they say they love the Lord, but their actions are not, are not following that. Because, friends, there's a vast, vast chasm, vast difference between believing in God Truly believing in him and allowing him to transform the way you live. It's one thing to just believe in a God and asking him to actually transform who you are from the inside out. Are there, are there days that go by that you don't pray? Are there, are there moments in a given day, hours that go by without you even giving a passing thought to God? Are, was the last time you read the scripture the last time you were here last Sunday in our gathering? Because when we live this kind of God-light lifestyle, when we live this godless lifestyle, what we're actually proclaiming is that we're, we're actually probably more agnostic in our faith. That we're, we're not fully trusting and surrendering our lives to Christ. You know, are we operating without continual reference to God relationally, intellectually, emotionally, for, for just vast moments of time? I think we need to consider that. Because that's the rebuke that James is giving here. He's, he's, again, he's not making these accusations about their, their action steps or their goals. He's asking them, why are you not even considering God in any of this? Where is God in all of this? And he goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because at the root of all of this is this pervasive issue within us that 
The issue with these traders is that they believe that they were all-knowing. We're going to do this, and then we're going to accomplish this, and then this is going to happen. And they were kind of stacking the dominoes of their life that it's going to go out exactly as they had planned. And so in their minds, they are, they're, they're, they're all-knowing. They're omniscient. But they also believe that they're all-powerful as well because everything is going to happen exactly as they say it's going to happen. And so they're, they, they're believing that they're omniscient in one regard, and they believe they're all-powerful in, in another regard. And James just kind of says, hey, guys, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You have zero clue what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not all-knowing. That's, that's, that's God's job. You're not all-powerful. That's God's job. Our, our job is to trust in him. And so um, James even goes a little bit further with this, 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 this kind of dagger knife here. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Um, about, uh, I don't know, 18, 20 years ago, I, uh, I, was, I, I became a Christian, a Christ follower in, in uni, and I was going to a church in my hometown, and there was, uh, that was at a time when you know, our church was doing a Sunday school, so before our gathering, we would have a time with kind of the people in our age group, and we would talk about scriptures and that sort of thing. And uh, so I, at that time, I'm maybe a year or two out from, a, from following Jesus, and I'm kind of helping lead the, the youth ministry for that Sunday school. And so I am, I'm doing that, and so we're in one kind of part of the church, and then in another classroom, there's, throughout the church, there's different meetings that are taking place. And there was another group that was meeting on the other side of the church, and it was uh, kind of people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, men and women, and they were gathering and having their discussion. And coincidentally, my, my future father-in-law was in, in that group. And there was another man in that group um, named Bob. And Bob was um, a deacon in the church, like well-loved by everyone in the church. And you know, this Sunday morning was pretty much normal, like any other service, uh, any other day. I just remember it was, it was kind of drizzly, it was raining, and uh, the story goes that Bob and my father-in-law, future father-in-law Joel, were, were chatting, and they were having a discussion about the Scripture. And then, and then they, were, they were talking. Uh, Bob kind of references James 4, and he says this. I've been, I've been kind of reading through this this week in James 4, where it says that today or tomorrow, that we're going to kind of do this and that. And I've just been thinking about that. I've got a thought I'd like to share with you guys about. Everyone kind of perked their ears up to listen to him. And he didn't say anything. And like three or four seconds passed, and people kind of leaned forward like, are you, you going to tell us? And then Bob falls over, dies of a massive heart attack in front of this group of people. And just how powerful, like he didn't even have to say a word, but basically he said everything, that our life is a mist it's a shadow. It's here one second. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next moment. James wants to remind us of that reality because that, that should sober us up. That should wake us up to the reality that our, moment, our moments here are, are not guaranteed. Think of the, the world-famous theologian Bob Dylan. Uh, he, 
said this, you don't, know a weatherman, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Um, you, you, don't need to be, you don't need an undertaker to know that you're going to die one day. Um, the reality is that sometimes we, we live like we're not going to die. We, we don't live with that reality before us. And so like these merchants, we can go, get so focused. We can get so focused on the future that we kind of miss God in the moment. We miss God in the present moment. Um, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, said it this way, realizing the future is uncertain not only teaches us trust in God, but it helps us to properly value the present. I, I think we need that. Um, because like, like I shared earlier, I am a planner. <laughs> it's what I do. It's who I am. I'm always thinking about the future. But when I'm constantly thinking of the future, I'm not really living in the moment. I'm not living in the present for what God has for me. There's lots of reasons that we kind of lose sight of God in the process. Um, maybe it's because of control, that we just want to kind of control our circumstances. And, um, you know, as, as, as planners, we can kind of, kind of perfectly try to figure out every possible contingency plan. We want to control our situations. Um, but... Also with that, there's this undergirding belief that maybe we don't really believe that Jesus is in control, and so we try to control our circumstances because maybe on a deeper level we haven't processed that Jesus is in control of our life, that we have this fear that maybe, maybe he's asleep behind the wheel. Or maybe it's this need for security that you're just driven. You're driven. Um, it's, it's a little bit different than control, but it's, you're, you have this drive within you to protect yourself from catastrophe. And so, you know, if I can just make this amount of money, then I can, I can breathe, I can relax. And, or maybe because it's, it's worry, you just, you're just anxious. You have this deep-seated anxiety within you that there's a million different things that can go wrong. Tim Keller says it this way, worry says, I know, and I'm afraid that God won't get it right. Worry says, I know, and I'm afraid that, I won't, that God won't get it right. Um, Let's turn to Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 12. Um, Jesus kind of addresses this line of thinking. In fact, if you put this up in comparison to what is being uh, shared by James, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, there's a, there's a ton of similarities here. It says this, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich uh, this man in this, this parable, he's being super blessed. He's had bumper crop after bumper crop, and he just expects this to kind of go on forever. And you can see this kind of the same kind of line of reasoning, whereas in James it says, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town, and, and, and we will spend a year there, and we will trade, and we will make a profit. Here it says, uh, in Jesus' parable, it says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I will store all my grain and my goods. And, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
Um, and so we continue to kind of make these plans without God in the process, but still hoping to kind of have his blessing in return. And that's, that, again, is just a very dangerous place for our hearts to be. Because that is also something that I believe James is bringing out through this passage here today. And that's this question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we, are we seeking God's permission or God's direction? Are we seeking his permission or his direction? Because those are two different aspects of approaching life spiritually. And they oftentimes are kind of a spiritual litmus test to kind of show where we stand with him relationally. Because permission is, you know, obviously you're asking, you're saying, I want to do this, I want to do that. God, can you kind of rubber stamp this for me? Can you give this because this is what I want? And whereas direction says, God, I don't really know the path and I don't really know how all this plans out, and, but I know you're in charge of my life and I, and I want to follow you. So I just ask that you illuminate my path. I just want to follow you in that path. Permission prayers say things like, Jesus, I, I want this job. I really do. So, you know, it's, it's got good income. It's got good job security. So, you know, just, just pray that you would give me that job. Whereas direction prayers are kind of a different kind of way of going about it because it's, it's about God. It's like, God, you know all my needs financially. You know all the things that, that I require. I just, Lord, I pray that you would give me a job where I can, um, you know, talk to people about who you are. I pray that you would give me a job where I can have enough income to meet my needs, but, but also that if I have extra, that I can bless other people in the process. Like those are different ways to, to pray. Those are different ways to uh, live out your life. And so I would ask, you know, are we allowing God to shape even the mundane, the ordinary, the boring parts of our life? Because the gospel will change the way that we make plans. There's an earthly way to make plans, and then there's a gospel-shaped to make plans? Are we asking again for his permission? Are we asking for his direction? Sometimes our desires will sync up. I mean, that's, that's great when that does. But oftentimes the things that we really want are actually not really what's best for us. Um, I'm reminded of a sobering passage again from, from Psalm uh, chapter 81, verses 10 through 13. Um, it says this, that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. What, is, what does that have to do with, with, with what I'm talking about? Um, this, this passage in you have to understand the, the book of Exodus that you have, um, you know, the, the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. They lived, lived there for centuries as slaves, and Moses is sent by God uh, to free them, and there's plagues, and there's the parting of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is destroyed, and they're, they're living in the wilderness, and God is providing all their needs and giving them all the food they need and all the drink they need and, and all the things, but they're never really satisfied in God. They they're constantly have this kind of this underlying frustration that he just isn't enough for them. They didn't want him to be their king. Ultimately, they just wanted to lead themselves. They wanted, they wanted kind of a blessed independence. They wanted to have the blessings of God, but they also kind of wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to kind of put God to the side and say, God, we want our own king. We want to do things kind of our own way uh, because we don't really always agree with you. 
And what does it say in the psalm? That he gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Um, We can, as we continue, we can continue to pray these same prayers like, God, I want this. God, I want this. God, I want this. And we're, we're praying for his permission on things. And God is saying, this isn't best for you, child. This isn't what I have for you. This, isn't, this is not the best thing for you. But ultimately, if we continue to have these desires and we continue to be stubborn and, and refuse to submit to him, he will give us the very worst thing that we need. We think it's the best thing that we require, but it actually can be the thing that will ultimately destroy us in the process. And that, again, should sober us up to the reality that we just need to be mindful of this. Like, is God constantly before us? Is he, is he you know, are we, are we aware of that? Are we praying for, for his direction in our life? Are we asking for his direction? Are we just wanting him to rubber stamp all the things that we really want? Because actually what God may be doing is setting us up and, and, and giving us up to our own destruction, our own desire, so that we can see the, the, the ways that we have actually taken our eyes off of him, and, and hopefully we can be drawn back to a loving repentance in him. And so... Ultimately, at worst, these, these constant permission prayers can lead us to devastation. And at best, at the very best, what they can do is distract us from the good works that he has called us to, to do good things that we desire. At best, that's the best, that's the best outcome of the situation, is that we uh, will find ourselves where we are doing, getting, you know, these good things that we're wanting, but it's actually taking us away from the good things that he's wanting us to do. And ultimately, our desires can trump what God desires for us. Again, it's that desire for blessed independence. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. Um, And while permission prayers are dangerous to our souls, direction prayers are dangerous to our plans. Uh, permission prayers can be dangerous to our souls, but direction prayers can be dangerous to our plans because God may completely redirect your path. Instead of making a profit, he may ask you to do something that costs you. Instead of um, asking for something that comforts you, you may, you, may be, you may be asked to do something that greatly discomforts you in the process. Um, years ago, in our time in New Orleans, uh, we were uh, growing like dramatically as a church, um, and we were running out of room in the rental place that we were in. So we, we needed to kind of find a next place for us to call home, and so we were starting a building campaign to try to raise enough money for a down, down payment on a building. And at that time, um, we had the four of us, and I was the only one working at the time. So it uh, didn't have a whole lot of excess. Like We, we had enough to pay our bills. And... I felt pretty strongly that God asked us to give $3,000. I said, Emily, I was like, what do you think? And I, I didn't tell her the amount I was thinking. She said, I think the Lord asked us to give $3,000. I was like, okay, so he told us both independently that we should give $3,000. Okay, uh, we'll see what happens with that. I don't know, I don't know how that's going to happen because we have literally no excess money every single month. The months pass, and we're kind of getting the end of our campaign, and we have not really given anything towards it. And I remember one night just praying, like, God, I don't know how you're going to do this because we, like, I've tried to, like, get a side hustle. I've tried to make some more money. I've tried to work overtime, like, just every single time. There's just nothing is happening. 
we're not able to raise this money. We've, we've pledged this. We believe like you told us to give this money, and I don't know what we're going to do. And the next day, I'm driving home, and I'm stopped at a red light. I'm leaving work, and a guy is coming up behind me, 40 miles an hour on his phone, totally not paying attention, and just clobbers me from behind. Um, so I'm like, great, this is awesome, this is fun. Um, so, you know, if you've ever dealt with insurance and all that stuff, it's always a hassle. The insurance company said, hey, you know, um, sorry this happened, you know, w- just pick out a body shop, pick who you want to take it to, um, set an appointment, and we'll pay for all the repairs. Great. Um, and so we, I called them, they scheduled it for like the following Tuesday for us to get our car repaired. Um, that weekend, um, so like three days before driving, guy on his phone, he's not paying attention, I'm stopped at a red light, and I get clobbered again, the same exact spot that I got clobbered in before, and I'm like, well, that, okay, I need to have like, you know, tape around my car, uh, uh, pillows, I don't know what, what I need to do here, but I'm a, apparently a, a threat to the road, um, people see me as a threat, and so um, same exact spot though, and so the police are called, the insurance is dealt with, and they said, Um, yeah, sorry this happened. We're just going to cut you a check for the repairs. You can take it to the body shop that you want to take it to. It was $3,000. So it was basically the same accident to the same spot, and they both had it done. We get a check. We get the car repaired, and we get the $3,000 to give to the building campaign for the church. Like, God, there's probably an easier way that you could have done this. You know, my neck would probably have felt a lot better but sometimes he puts us through these, like, these uncomfortable moments because he's trying to kind of show himself in the process. Um, we should be asking for those direction prayers, but those direction prayers, you just have to know they're going to be dangerous to your plans. He may ask you to move overseas like some people I know. Um, he may ask you to um, empty your savings account to bless a family that's in need. He may ask you to clear your calendar to deal with somebody Who's, who's going through a very difficult time and, and to weep with those who weep. He may, he may ask you to go across the street to that neighbor that you don't get along with to show kindness and love and mercy to. And in that process, you're building trust, trust not only with God in the process, but you're, you're doing his will here on earth. Um, we should be asking these things. That, you know, Lord, I, I, want, I want you to be used through my life. How may I speak your words today? Who can I forgive today? How can I be your hands? How can I be your feet? We need to have those constant questions before us where we're thinking these things. Not where we're asking permission for all these things that we want, but we're truly asking, God, what are your desires? What is your direction for the moment that I'm in today, and how can I serve you today? Continues on in verse 15 of James 4. It says this, "Um, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Um, you know, we, we should be careful here. We don't want to be too legalistic. I don't believe that that is what James is saying. I don't think he's saying that we should add if the Lord wills to kind of every prayer and every statement and, and all that. I don't really think that that's what he's asking of us because I think to do so would be ridiculous. Um, it would be like saying, um, imagine um, Jess is going to the physician and, and she says, now Jess, I, I want you to just relax. I've done this surgery a thousand times. You'll be just fine if the Lord wills. Uh, or I'm saying goodnight to my boys. They're going to bed. And I say, love you boys. I hope you all have a good rest. I'll see you all in the morning. If the Lord wills. Like, 
I don't, I don't believe that's, it's incredibly ominous and creepy, by the way, but I don't think that's what he's trying to argue. What I, what I do believe is that he wants us to, are we considering him in our planning, in our lives, in our prayers, in our, in our day-to-day monotony of our lives? Is, is he constantly before us? And, and lastly, let's look at verses 16 and 17. It says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Uh, so, you know, there, there's two ways that we kind of sin against God in heaven. The, the first way is the sin of commission, which is where we, we do things that are bad. We know they're bad and we do them anyway. So we know that we shouldn't lie or steal or harm someone, and, and yet we do it anyway. Uh, but James really brings out this other sin, which is the sin of omission, um, which is we know the right thing to do, and yet we fail to do it. Um, the merchants that James is kind of rebuking here, they're excluding God from their lives. They made plans as if they were God. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we just need to be aware of is that as we allow the sin of commission of pride kind of to dwell in us, if we don't really address it on an ongoing basis, what ends up happening is that we, we have these sins of omission that end up bubbling up because of the sin of commission of pride. We're omitting God out of our life. We're omitting God out of doing the right thing. We're omitting God and into saying the right thing and speaking the right thing. And, and uh, often what happens is that we, we kind of start silencing God in the process. Those, those hourly chats kind of go into days and we, um, we kind of exclude God from our everyday lives. You know, I, just, I just want us to, as, we, as we're concluding today, I just want to ask you a few few questions, you know, you know, if you're making plans without him, you know, if you're just living your life and just kind of coasting and, and all of that stuff, you're actually going against the grain of what God desires for you today. God's desire is not for that. He actually wants to be a part of your life. He does that, want that relationship. But, uh, you know, I do have good news for you today. It's not all bad news. Um, the good news is that even when we are busy and distracted and consumed with just what's going on with our own lives, even if we forget him completely. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't forgotten you. He's never going to fail or forsake you. He's going to walk with you through every dark moment, every dark valley. This God knows every hair on your head, every little speck, every grain of sand on the seashore, every star in the universe. He, he knows it all. He, he's completely aware of every detail of your life situation. And at the cross, Christ became forsaken on your behalf so that you would never feel that cold distance, that isolation from God. Even though we have that cold distance sometimes with God uh, from, our, our, from our perspective to him, because of the cross, he took that on. He bore judgment on our behalf. At the cross, he takes on all of our sins of commission. He takes, he takes on all the sins of omission. And he gives us perfect righteousness. That even when we forget him, friends, he never really is, is best betrayed. Father, I, I, 
Uh, this, this passage is brutal. It's, it's, it's hard. There's, there's moments, days, weeks that we don't keep you before us. We're a fallen, sinful people, Lord. We repent of that. Let, let us not be so focused on our future that we miss you in the present. Let us not neglect you. Because our life is truly that. It is a vapor. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed. How foolish it is for us to live our lives believing that this this is just going to continue. Help us be sober-minded to the fact that every second is a gift. And help us honor you with our lives, Jesus.